Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew, and joining me today is Pastor Mark Tiefel. Over the fast past few months, and I guess even a little bit longer than that, we have been going through a study of the apostles of Jesus. Now, up to this point, we've covered 12 apostles, the 12 individuals that Jesus called to follow him and sent out as his witnesses in the world. These have been familiar at times, sometimes not familiar. But we're going to be looking at one that is a little bit different than all the rest today. And you might say, well, there were only 12 apostles. Who are we going to cover today? We're going to be taking a look at one who does not have a day in the Christian church here. And that was because of the reputation that he had and what he accomplished or what he did with his life. And that's Judas Iscariot. Now, this individual might be more familiar in some areas than some of the other apostles that we've covered, but not for good reasons. He would be more of the notorious kind than the others that had a positive reputation. Mark, this is an interesting character in our study of the apostles, and not for positive reasons. All of the other apostles that we've taken a look at, while there are negatives sometimes to focus on, like Peter and his denial, this is probably the worst because there just isn't much positive that is said about Judas. What First of all, what can, why would we even cover an individual like Judas? What's the benefit of even talking about this fellow and what can we learn from him? Well, I think one of the reasons to cover it is he was one of the 12. I mean, he was, he was one of the 12 that was called by Christ. He was one of his disciples, regardless of what he went on to do. Uh, Judas was called as, as one of the 12 disciples. So it's important to recognize that there was obviously a reason why Jesus called him, but more important than that, there are lessons that we can learn from Judas. In each of the individuals that we've looked at with the 12 apostles, we've also looked at what lessons do we take from their example for our faith today. And even though Judas betrayed Christ, even though he um, was a negative you know, character in that sense, there is a lot that we can learn from his life and from what the Bible tells us about him. So there are a lot of difficulties that we can run into with Judas as an apostle, as a follower, and some of the questions that people might have about why did Jesus call him and all this. We'll get to that later on. But let's start by talking a little bit about who Judas was. Who was this guy that we know, maybe singularly, only because he betrayed Jesus? We, we know a little bit more about Judas than just that. What else do we know about Judas from the scriptures? We can piece together some information about him here and there. He was, he was the son of Simon. Uh, he, there was another Judas who was a disciple. So it's important that we distinguish uh, Judas Iscariot from the other Judas. And uh, he takes that name Iscariot because he was from the town of Kiriath, which was in Judah. So that's what he's known as in the Gospels when he's listed in the records as Judas Iscariot. Um, and that's about the extent of the biographical information we have about him. We're not told a lot of information about Judas Iscariot 
about his life and his background and those types of things. But most of the story about Judas in the Bible centers around the betrayal of Christ and what he would do. Uh, so uh, Judas, as we also know, because of his connection as the betrayer, he was the one that was in charge of the money that the 12 disciples had. And uh, that certainly in some ways might have contributed to his desire for greed and to be willing to sell Jesus to the high priest and in, in the betrayal. I've always thought that that's kind of an interesting, an interesting thing. John is the one who tells us that in essence, we would call Judas the treasurer in John 12. We're told that he was a thief and that he had the money box. So he was in charge of the money and that he would take sometimes what was put in this money box. So on, in John 13, the disciples, John tells us that the disciples thought that Jesus, when he sent Judas out, was telling him to go pay for something because he had the, the funds for the money. So one of those interesting things that we learn about Judas is, you know, why, why would he be the treasurer? Maybe people really trusted him um, and maybe a little bit of deceptive. We get into the love of money a little bit here, don't we? Yeah, definitely. That's we, we can see that as his as Judas's story plays out, that uh, he was more than just the treasurer. There was also a, a, a love of money and a connection to money that Judas had that played a part in his desire to uh, be, betray Jesus. When we get into some of the there are some unique difficulties with Judas. And maybe one of those is why would Jesus have even called Judas, if he knew that Judas was number one, going to steal from the money box, and then finally even betray Jesus. Any thoughts on that? That's a really tough question to answer, as you as you mentioned, and it's one of those things where we we recognize the way that God would have it be, the way that God desires something to be, but also the way that it's going to be. And God knows both of those things. In, in, and Christ, in his eternal wisdom, knows ahead of time what's going to happen, and yet he allows it to happen. Sometimes we talk about that uh, with God's judgment as his antecedent judgment versus his consequent judgment, that God knows beforehand, and he has a certain desire about things, but he doesn't force that into existence but, but still, the question remains for the, from the human perspective of even if God doesn't force his will into existence, why does he allow it to happen the way that would be opposed to what his desire is? And those are definitely the, the thoughts that circulate with Judas that wouldn't, hit, wouldn't it have been better to choose someone else who wouldn't do this? Uh, is Jesus partly responsible for what happened if he knew that Judas would do this and yet chose him? Uh, and that's, those are questions that are difficult for us to answer. But what we can say for sure is that God, God's will and God's desire does not always happen the way that he wants it to be. And that's because of the influence of sin in the world. And yet God is still able to work through what he doesn't desire to have happen uh, despite all of that. So I think we can safely say God did not want Judas to do this. Christ did not desire Judas to betray him, but he at the same time knew that it would happen. And everything Judas did, he himself chose to do in that moment. He was not forced by God to do this. 
Now, another part that enters the scene here when it comes to God's will is there, there was Old Testament prophecy involving the betrayal here. There was a, a section from Psalm 41 that talked about the Messiah being betrayed, which the biblical writers tell us was fulfilled through Judas. Uh, there was a section from Zechariah that talked about the, the, the 30 pieces of silver being exchanged and the, um, the, that money being given to the potter's field upon Judas's death. So obviously we know when God prophesies something, it has to be fulfilled as well, or God would be a liar. So part of this was that the prophecies involving the betrayal had to happen the way that they were told as well. And Judas, Judas um, was the fulfillment of those prophecies. Yeah, I appreciated your comment on the antecedent and consequent will of God. Those are terms that we probably don't run into on a regular basis every day. But the fact that there are things that God desires, but not everything is what comes out the way that God desires. For example, God desires all people to be saved, but we know that not everybody is saved. And that's because there are consequences for our actions. God has given us a freedom of the will. And many times our free will our free will is opposed to the things of God and it rejects the things of God. And so God's desire certainly was the salvation of Judas. And yet Judas rebelled against that part of that may have been that love of money that we see not only with the treasure as the treasurer and, and having the money box, but even the desire to betray Jesus and to get some money for it. And, and not a lot of money, a small amount of money in reality. So I'd like to throw an idea out to you, and I want to I want to get your feedback on what your thoughts are on this. I've often had the thought of of Judas that Judas wasn't as ugly and evil as sometimes he's made out to be. When you take a look at the events of the betrayal, here's Judas, and he goes and he he talks with the religious leaders and he agrees on a certain amount of money to betray Jesus into their hands at a time that's inconspicuous, in not, not out in the public. And the way in which the gospel writers describe Judas coming into the Garden of Gethsemane is that Judas then leads this group in, but he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now that seems to be a strange thing. And I've, I've wondered if maybe Judas thought that he could get away with it, that Jesus would never let himself be crucified, that, that he knew that Jesus was innocent and that he would get out of it and that he could innocuously lead the Jewish leaders to Jesus and that none of the disciples, not even Jesus, would know that he had done that and that Jesus would get out of it anyway and he would make the money and nobody would ever know about it. Do you have any thoughts on, on that uh, at all? I think that's definitely a possibility. I think I agree with you that I don't, I don't think Judas knew everything he had gotten himself into in the moment. I think there's another case that could be made that there were other times that Jesus ran in with the, the Jewish leaders and either, even other times where they tried to kill him. There was that time where, you know, they, they, they tried, they tried to push him off the cliff. I can't remember if that was the Jewish leaders or the people of the town, but there were times when Jesus was in danger and when G the, the stakes were high, but like you said, he found a way out of it. And so I think it's entirely plausible that Judas might have thought this was just another one of those opportunities and I can make a quick buck and, and, you know, maybe it's not right, but uh, these kind of things are probably going to happen anyway. So I might as well capitalize on it. We know Judas was an opportunist because in John chapter 12, when Mary is 
anointing Jesus' feet with the costly oil. Judas is the, the practicality side says, why don't we sell this and use it for something even better, uh, giving it to the poor or whatnot. And it's not that Judas probably wanted to help the poor, but that he he thought he was good at utilizing resources. He thought he knew best. And I'm sure he probably thought this was another opportunity to capitalize on what was occurring and maybe get something on the side. So I think it's entirely possible that he didn't realize in the moment the severity of what he was doing and what it would lead to. Just like I think we could say the same in a lot of our situations of sin, we don't realize how devastating the consequences could be. We often we often make more light of it than should be made. And I think that I think that certainly is the case with Judas. But you see from the biblical story, we have the we have the perspective of the biblical writers and the Holy Spirit giving us this account. So all along the way, as they're giving these details of what was happening with Judas, we see how serious it was. But for him in that moment, it was probably harder for Judas to recognize that on his own. And, and that's where it would have been wise for Judas to heed what Christ had said leading up to Jerusalem, just like the rest of the 12. We, we've seen that with the other disciples that Jesus had predicted he's going to suffer, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to die, he's going to rise again. And all of the disciples that flew over their heads and they were all caught off guard when it actually happened. So I think that that the biblical story in a lot of ways fits with that idea that Judas was in over his head, didn't realize what he had gotten himself into, and didn't really intend for it to go the way that it went. When I wonder if we think about what happened afterwards, that's one of the other reasons that I've thought that that might be the case with Judas is because when Judas saw that Jesus wasn't going to get out of it, mm -hmm. What did he do? He went and killed himself. Uh, he was overcome by sorrow over what he had done. Um, and that certainly indicates that he was caught off guard in some ways that he didn't, he, he didn't intend it. He had regret. We could say he didn't intend it for, for it to go this way. And I think, you know, another part that would play in is the other disciples didn't really get it either. Even, even in, on Monday, Thursday, in the upper room, when Jesus says, points out Judas is the one who will betray him. And he says, what you are going to do, go do quickly. We're told that the rest of the disciples didn't really know what Jesus was. I mean, was he talking about going and buying something else? Was he preparing something else that had to happen? They didn't, they, they themselves didn't see this in Judas. So it, it's, I think it surprised the other disciples too. So I don't think that Judas portrayed himself outwardly as this malicious, horrible character that was very clearly evil. I think there were probably a lot of qualities to Judas as well that people saw on the outside, but the, the danger was in his heart. And that's, that's very, very hard to see from a human perspective, but also indicates that Judas probably had some good motives in his mind of what would happen, but didn't realize how opposed those things were to what Christ was trying to do. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the passage where man looks at the outward appearance, describing, in that case, David in the Old Testament, but the Lord knows the heart. And the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord knows what's going on the inside, but it can be deceiving on the outside, can't it? And yeah. I think that you're right with Judas. That every Everything that we have seems to indicate that everybody else trusted Judas, that they, they, had, this, they had the slightest idea what was going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go to the crucifixion of Jesus, the condemnation of Jesus, and the response by Judas. 
you mentioned that he went out and he he took his own life. He committed suicide. He was in despair. That he was regretful for what he had done. Let's make a little bit of a comparison between Judas, who betrayed Jesus and regretted what he had done, and Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and he also regretted what he did. Those are nice comparisons when we're talking about faith in particular, true faith in particular. What's the difference between those two accounts and the responses of Peter and Judas? Well, it is an interesting comparison because there are more similarities between Peter and Judas than we might expect. Like you said, today we look at Judas as this vile character that was always evil and wicked, kind of hopeless. And we look at Peter as this hero of the faith one of the most prominent figures, one of the most endearing, you know, from a Roman Catholic perspective, the head of the church and all this and that. But in, in the present time of the Gospels, Peter and Judas were in some ways on a parallel path. Uh, if you look back at uh, Matthew chapter 16, we have that account where, uh, you know, Peter stands up boldly and tells Christ that he'll never have to go to the, I'll never allow you to go to the cross. And, and, and uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter had, was inflicted by Satan with temptations as well. And we're told the same thing about Judas, uh, that, that Satan had entered his heart to do this. Uh, and so very similar to what, what they endured. At this, and again, Peter um, disowned Jesus three times in, during his crucifixion. Judas betrayed him directly. I mean, we could argue what was the bigger crime there. I mean, Peter is no, is no innocent individual either, disowning Jesus and even swearing by it that he doesn't know the man. Um, and Peter then obviously had regret too. We're told that he wept bitterly at, at recognizing what he had done. So, you know, on Good, on the, on Good Friday, we are based, you know, Judas and Peter are in very similar situations uh, with what they had done, with the way that it had developed. Um, and the difference though is in, the response moving forward. And Peter, in you know, certainly in his letter, he talks about it in and emphasizing the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God. We know what he went on to do in the rest of the church that that Peter recognized and trusted in Christ that he had been forgiven as well. And Jesus reaffirmed that for him on Easter when he restored Peter three times uh, with the do you love me questions. Judas, on the other hand, we're told, never, never got to that point of recognizing that Christ had forgiven him too and trusting in that forgiveness. And that's why we, we define true repentance as not just being sorry for sin, not just having that regret. That's the way a lot of people look at it. But repentance is also believing and trusting that God forgives through Christ and having that be the source of one's hope. And Judas from what we're told, never got to that point in his regret. Um, and so his, his demise or his death, we might say, is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 27, where it talks about how he went out and killed himself in that regret. Um, and then also Acts chapter 1, Judas is referenced because they chose the Matthias, Matthias to take his place. Um, and it talks about how uh, Judas despaired of his faith as well and gave up on that. And so we recognize that as the key difference between Judas and Peter. In a lot of ways, they were very similar, more than what we probably expect. But it was in their confidence, hope, and trust in Christ to take those sins away 
that we see the difference. I think that's very important when you think about the differences between them. And as you mentioned, that the book of Acts talks about Judas going to his own place. Uh, you know, not, not a place that was a, a place of, as a result of faith that Christ had won for him, what God desired for Judas. Uh, he went to his own place instead of the place that God had intended for him to go. There are also some interesting traditions. Sometimes we get to the traditions of these disciples. Interestingly, there is a religion that has an interesting theory about Judas and that he became good again. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a tradition in the Islamic religion. Uh, we know that there are certain individuals from the Bible that cross paths in Islam, you know, many from the Old Testament, uh, but also some from the New Testament. Islam does talk about Christ, doesn't confess him as Lord, Savior, God, but looks at him as a prophet, um, and also talks about Judas. And the tradition in Islam is that Judas actually uh, became good again after betraying Jesus. He became a follower of, I guess they would say, not Christ, but Allah, uh, but, be, but sort of redeemed himself afterwards. And um, I think that probably fits into the narrative, narrative in Islam that Christ is just sort of this earthly prophet, maybe a, a nice, wise, good person, but not the son of God. And so the fact that I think it's kind of designed to downplay the severity and the impact that the betrayal of Judas had on the overall work of Christ as he suffered and died. Uh, because Islam is certainly going to attempt to take away any notion that Christ made atonement for the sins of the world. And so it's, just, it's an interesting thing to see how some of these individuals from the New Testament even cross paths in the Islamic faith as well, but in much different ways. Very, very different ways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Gnostics also kind of had a veneration for, for Judas, that early New Testament cult, so to speak, uh, that had more of a focus on, on knowledge as opposed to very strange views on Christ. And so you get some very interesting things that develop over time. The Gospel of Judas, which kind of turns Judas into the hero of the, the crucifixion as opposed to the villain. Uh, so some very interesting things that develop with Judas over the, over the centuries. Well, let's, let's conclude by talking about what is it that we can learn from Judas? Why is his story recounted for us? And what is it that we can take away from the life of Judas still today? I think there's a lot of, this is like we, like we began with the podcast today. I think there's a lot of very important elements here. I think obviously we see one of the main issues being with money. Uh, Judas had greed. That's a, a lot of where his desire began. Um, the Bible go, you know, tells us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So beware of that in our faith life. Uh, we might see money as a material thing and maybe think that it doesn't really affect our faith, but it, it can and it does. And when we, in terms of you know, idols and things leading us away from God, money can be right at the top of the list of those things in our day and age. And so for our own lives, I think Judas's legacy is beware of that and letting that temptation, that desire uh, plant a seed in your heart and grow unchecked because it appears that's what happened with Judas. And what that led then to is undervaluing Christ and what Christ had come to do and what Christ had said to him. And it, it, when your focus is solely on something else, it kind of blocks out what God might be telling you is most important in your life. I think another one that comes in 
is recognizing the value and the importance of true repentance too. And not just showing sorrow over sin, but moving moving forward to recognize that Christ has dealt with that sin and to, to understand the, the full implications of that for our lives, that Christ promises free and total forgiveness, not because we've earned it or deserved it, because if that's our mode of thinking, well, in, the, in that moment of despair, we're going to think we don't deserve it. We might be aware of forgiveness in that moment of despair. Maybe Judas was even aware of the concept of forgiveness. But if the, if the emphasis is on what I must do or how I must earn that or show that to God, we're never going to be worthy of that. So it's it, Judas's legacy in a lot of ways is, is a reminder of God's grace and mercy in Christ. His story is obviously so intertwined with what Christ did to achieve that grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a reminder sort of in that negative sense of a warning for us. But it's a good thing for us to think about and a good thing for us to be reminded about when we think of his legacy to the church. We certainly want to be aware of the warning signs, but we also want to be aware of the positive elements that we can think about through God's mercy that remind us of these things. It's also pretty incredible to see how, even though we focus on the negative with Judas, the Lord reminds us that he can use people for his purposes, just like he did with Judas. I mean, there were, there were good things that God used Judas to be able to accomplish. And just because there are bad people in Christianity, you hear this within atheists and other groups that are critical of Christianity. Well, look at all these bad people in Christianity and look at how they don't live their Christian life. Just because there are sinful human beings that do things that they should not do doesn't nullify what Christ has done for us. That actually, it actually points out why Christ came, doesn't it? That he has come for people like Judas. He's come for people like me and for you. That is the whole reason why Christ had to come. And so it actually supports the message of Christianity as, as opposed to undermining it. And I think that's an important thing to take away from Judas as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's another thing that Judas might have thought in that moment after he realized what he had done, that he probably thought I ruined everything. Well, no, you, you, a sinner can't do that to what Christ has accomplished. That's the whole point, that, that Christ endures. Uh, nothing changes that. Yeah. And the importance is that we consider that personally in our lives and what that means for us, for what Christ did. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again, Mark. I've enjoyed this series on the apostles, 13 of them. Uh, we actually did one extra as opposed to the 12 because of Judas and Paul. But thank you for your time and, and your study on these individuals that we certainly can learn from both in their good qualities as well as the negative qualities, how the Lord works through us all. May the Lord richly bless each of our listeners as we continue to study through the scriptures and learn from the examples that the Lord has given to us. And as he encourages us to use our gifts and the, the responsibilities that he's given to us that we might serve in his kingdom and to his glory. The Lord be with you all. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, Go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.